Hello, everybody. Welcome in to, I don't even know what episode this is now, because we did take a two-week break of MLS Bench Podcast. I'm Joey. With me today is Andres. Um, John will be hopping in a little later, uh, hopefully to discuss uh, the craziness that's just gone down in Charlotte. We are recording this on Tuesday, and just a few hours ago, um, a couple bombs dropped uh, in the Queen City, so we'll talk about that. Um, First... A lot's happened. We did take a uh, one-week hiatus, so we've had three match weeks. We've had U.S. Open Cup. Um, all that's gone on since we last recorded. So um, I think even though we just had a crazy week, uh, crazy weekend of MLS action, I think the first place to start is certainly kind of touching on some of the main storylines that happened um, in our time off. Uh, I think one of those storylines, one that we touched on um before uh, we took our break, was the upcoming Austin schedule, right? Um, the Galaxy, RSL, um, uh, what, what LAFC, Orlando City, right? Starting to play some of the top brass um, in MLS. And so I think let's just start with Austin, Andres. Um, thoughts as uh, this weekend, they fell to um, the Galaxy 4-1, um, I don't think that this was a particularly convincing performance on the road. Um, Chicharito and uh, Jovalich getting on the board, as well as Efrain Alvarez uh, for the Galaxy in this one. But I think, more broadly speaking, in the time that has passed since we last recorded, Austin's shown that they might not be a 1-2-3 team, but maybe, and I know you're a little down on it, but still for me, they are a playoff team. What are your, uh, what's your take on Austin so far? Yeah, and I don't I don't want to sound like a, like an Austin hater. I promise it's not that I'm 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 hating on Austin or 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 Verde or or the whole awesome vibe that they have down there. I just throughout the first couple of weeks and, and even even recently they've they seem to have been, you know, kind of getting better results than what the performances really showed. Um and, and I figured as they got into some of the meat of their schedule and playing some of the better teams um, we start to kind of see that, and if if we look through the last five games, um, you know their only win is the LAFC game where uh, Stuver really kind of saved them a few times. Um, I thought they were probably a little fortuitous to get that to to get that win. Um, expected goals, you know, showed a different story, and I think if if you watch that, um, it was pretty back and forth, and you could argue that LAFC was probably better. Um, and then their other point um, was against Orlando in that completely crazy um, second half where uh, Austin's down 2 nothing, and Orlando gets back-to-back handballs uh, to Schlegel, which, you know, gives him a red. Then uh, Raujo gets another red right after that. Um, and they're down to nine men for like 25 minutes. And, and Austin gets a corner kick, you know, goal at, at the death, which wasn't a corner kick um, and that's their other point so that's four points um, out of 15 uh, really you could argue that four is even is even kind of fortuitous for them so you know a little bit back to the back to earth I still have them you know right around seven or eight at the end of the year um, I think they're they're a pretty good team but I, I never thought they'd stay in the top three and we'll see where they go from here 
Um, but yeah, they have a couple of weeks now to regroup. Um, and we'll see what happens after the break. Yeah, I think the question was always going to be, you know, when you play a better team or a top team, um, and the, like the ones that they started to play, like their May schedule, right? They beat the Dynamo 2-1 on uh, April 30th. And um, we are, this is the last day of May. So their schedule in May was a loss to the Galaxy, a loss to RSL, a win versus LAFC, a draw versus Orlando City, and another loss versus the Galaxy. So we're talking about, you know, they played the Galaxy twice. They're a top five team. RSL, they're a top five team. And uh, LAFC are a top five team in the Western Conference. So they're playing the top brass of the West. And they haven't come out unscathed for sure. And I'm with you on uh, the fortuitous four points. Um, definitely could have been less, uh, no doubt. I think for me, uh, the interesting thing um, when it comes to you know Austin is the fact that like their goal difference even though they lost 4-1 to the Galaxy, right, is still, like, the fourth or fifth best in the league. Like, it is, I, it's the fourth best in the league, and it's the third best in the Western Conference. So, I know that goal difference doesn't tell the whole story, but, like, they have beaten up on the lower teams when they played them um, earlier in the season. And I think, for me, the reason why I still think that Austin is a playoff team, and I have a good deal of confidence saying that, is because those teams that they needed to beat, right, Houston is currently sitting in seventh, and the teams below them in the pecking order in the West, they did beat convincingly at times, right? And so if they're showing, uh, you know, that they are, you know, consistently better than these, you know, lower teams, I just don't see where they're going to drop enough points to fall as far as, you know, eighth, ninth, and out of the playoff spots. Now, you do expect Seattle to come back in the, uh, in the fray. Minnesota United, Colorado are pl- former playoff teams last year and have the talent to make runs, no doubt. I just think for Austin, they've done well enough so far in the season against a lot of these teams who they would be contending against for those playoff spots that I just don't really see them dropping that far, though I do understand where you're, you're coming from on that. Um, also, uh, I, Drewsy is still a menace. He's still an unbelievable player and has been producing for them um, in the goals category. Specifically, Fagundes um, has also picked up the weight uh, in the assist category specifically, um, those two players leading the team in uh, those categories. But I think for Austin, it's really going to be you play uh, Montreal after the um, international break, you play Dallas, and those are two games that if you're going to, you know, if you get wins, those are two, you know, two teams that could uh, contend for the playoffs, obviously, in Dallas's case, and could propel this team um, into greater things heading into the summer. On the flip side, if you lose those games, then you're staring down a path where now you really have to start fighting it out for that last for that last playoff spot. So John, or not John, sorry, Andres, do you agree with my assessment that like it's kind? This is kind of an inflection point in their season. How they handle these next couple games heading out of the international window are going to be particularly determinative of their uh, their final position. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you said, Montreal is a good team, and Dallas is as well. Um, Colorado and Atlanta after Charlotte. So there's a couple games there uh, uh, on teams that you expect, Colorado especially, you would think they're below the playoff line and you, you'd expect them probably to jump up. Um, so for sure, these next couple games are, are going to be big to see if, if they're going to be, you know, comfortably in or, or fighting or, or fighting, you know, for that last spot. And, and you mentioned their goal differential. You know, they're plus 10 now. They were plus nine 
after the first two games. It means they're plus one in the last 12 games. Plus one is, you know, one better than Houston, one better than Minnesota, two better than Colorado, two better than Seattle. You know, that's seven, eight, nine, and ten. You know, that's about where I see them in terms of um, overall talent level, you know, final final standings. But again, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. And we're getting to that halfway point. So we'll, we'll know a lot more by the end of June. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, where I see them is I still see them in like that six, seven range. I just see them like a more comfortable six, seven, maybe a, a larger point gap in that kind of area. Like I don't see it necessarily being like a decision day kind of thing. But I, again, like I wouldn't be surprised if it happened that way, just because we've seen that they aren't a, a top three team, right? That much, that much we can say pretty confidently, I, I think at this point. But yeah, um, I think we can switch to their other, uh, you know, Northern Texas uh, rivals, uh, Dallas um, are flying. They are second in the West plus 11 on goal differential and 25 points, which is good enough to see them. Uh, third in the entire league. Now, Andres, this is a team that, you know, has grown in leaps and bounds from last season. Paxton Pomichol is back and doing well, I think, in the midfield. And Jesus Ferreira and Paul Areola are an absolutely killer duo up top. And those two have provided a ton of goals um, for this team when they've needed it. Uh, this weekend, a 3-1 win over Orlando City. Um, actually, uh, the first win after two straight losses, uh, kind of the first real blip in their schedule, uh, so far, but you know, they, they've beaten some of the top teams as well in the West. So this is a team that I think, uh, will certainly make the playoffs and contend, um, when they get there. Is that how you see this team? And I think without, uh, I don't think it's crazy to say this is, you know, one of MLS's best teams, maybe not surprisingly. So if you look at their roster, but you know, Again, coming back from last year, yeah, extremely impressive uh, where they've gotten to uh, at this point. Yeah, I think you you have to be a little bit surprised um, just that it's come together this quickly under Estevez. Um, last year was was obviously a huge step back, um, and th- and this year, you know, they've they've turned around a lot of the things that that went wrong last year. Um, you know, goalkeeping play for for one. Has been much better this year. Uh, Pass is like plus three on on goals on goals added. Let's say, um, or excuse me, he is plus three on what they were last year. So he's right around neutral um, where they had a negative three last year. Um, but beyond that, you know, Ariola I think is probably playing the best uh, soccer of his of his life. Um, we we didn't have a pod last week, but even though they lost to Minnesota, his goal was spectacular um he put in another one just you know ton of power to beat Gallese this week and and overall you know you've got Ferreira and Ariola and Velasco up front that are super dangerous you can bring Obreon off the bench uh, like they did this week and then in, in the midfield you know you've got Pomico healthy and playing well solid uh central defenders with Hedges and and Martinez I think they're really a pretty complete team, um, and this this week they finally got a contribution out of Franco Hara. Came in, changed the game, got an assist and a goal. And if Hara gives them, you know, production, then 
that that takes them to a, another another level of of potential even beyond you know maybe a, a three four five seed they can be even better than that so i really like what i've seen out of dallas um so far and and if you're a u.s fan in general i think you root for at least dallas to do well because of all the guys that they brought through um in the last couple of years whether it's you know McKinney out of the academy or Reynolds and Cannon and Tessman and everybody else. So it's cool to see the first team also getting some some success. Yeah, um, and I, I love that you brought up Ariola. Like, he just got called up to the national team again, 100% deserved. Uh, I'll just read, out, read off his form uh, from April 30th versus Sporting KC to this last weekend versus Orlando City. It was an assist, a goal, a goal, a goal, a goal, and two goals. This guy has a goal contribution for over a month straight at this point in every game he's played. That is insane. That's crazy. He's on fire. I I agree that this is probably the best soccer he's ever played. Um, his strike partner in Jesus Ferreira has been equally impressive. Goals and assists, right? We know that he likes combining as well, right? Um, in the MLS since that, you know, 430 game versus... Um, Sporting KC, it's a goal, a goal, two goals, an assist, nothing, and then two assists, right? This is a guy who's a striker, can, you know, drop in and combine, and has been, you know, racking up the uh, the G plus A um, with Ariola too. When you have those two together, now that's a ton for the defense to worry about, and it's producing uh, wins, um, basically on the spin, except for really the one surprising result like, super surprising. A 2-1 loss to Vancouver. I'm not 100% sure uh, where that came from, but uh, I mean, they're still unbelievable so far this season, second in the West. Um, deservingly so. Uh, I hope they can keep it up uh, for, like you said, the USMNT of the past and the USMNT of the present on that team. Um, I, I, that'll be extremely interesting to see, and I hope they're able to contend in the playoffs because... They're, like you said, they're a complete team, and the goalkeeping's fine this year. You know, um, you know what what can they do? I think the sky is pretty much the limit because if you know those guys are able to continue their impressive form, uh, they're beating a lot of MLS's best sides right now, and deservingly so. So we'll see how that goes. A uh, few other things before we jump into this week's uh, these week's games, uh, we have RSL who has climbed. Two third in the West. This is my surprise, really, for the season because I thought that they might drop off after last year. You know, a surprise playoff run. You don't normally win a game after uh, not even having a shot on goal. Uh, that was last year in the playoffs. I thought it might just not really click this year because hey, they got in on the last uh, the last day, kind of lucky. But hey, this is a team that is on fire right now, despite the zero goal differential. They're in third place on twenty five points, equal with Dallas. And they're playing some really good soccer, particularly at home. It's a couple straight sellouts in Rio Tinto uh, for the first time in a very long time, if ever. And this is a team that's really feeding off this energy that they've, you know, created themselves. Uh, Andres, what have you seen in this? Te- uh, excuse me. What have you seen in this team? And um, do you think that they have what it takes to uh, continue? They are so. I I get them wrong every time, right? I think most people that watch this league that that try to evaluate, you know, the rosters and the talent and kind of always come to the same conclusion that, you know, they're kind of undermanned and we get proven wrong over and over um, by, by RSL. They just kind of always find a way to 
to pull upsets or find themselves in the playoff picture when people pretty much have them written off. So maybe maybe we need to stop doing that. Uh, you know, they're they're built in a way you know that most other teams aren't building. They've got a ton of homegrown guys. They're they're starting Lawfulson in the in the midfield. He's a second round draft pick if I remember right. Um, yeah, what 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 can you say? They're they're well structured. They they tend to to kind of play the same sort of system and find ways to to get results. This this week against Houston, you know, not typical of them. They kind of you know three zero is a pretty big win for ourselves. And if we look at their goal differential, where you said they were zero, we got to remember they were minus six to New York, so that's that's skewing the right. number a little bit. Yeah. Other than that, they're they're pretty solid. So um, I don't know if it's sustainable. I picked them to be the team that fell out of below the playoff line a few weeks ago, um, but they keep proving us wrong. So what can you say? Well on them. Seems yeah. like everybody's having a good time at the riot. Yeah, 100%. Um, and that's 100% why we shouldn't um, treat goal differential as a massive thing because those outliers happen like you were talking about with austin like you're talking about with rsl right these are two good teams that have very different ways of getting to two very different goal differentials um but i think the point total uh definitely deserved for rsl it's three wins on the spin versus three playoff teams in austin montreal and Dyn- and the dynamo as it stands right and those um, are three wins after i said that they were the likely team to fall below the playoff line so i got yeah. my place <laughs> uh, hey we we get them wrong sometimes, uh, and that was you know after a two 0 loss in Nashville in Nashville, but they beat the Galaxy right in the riot, and like I think we forget that result um, because then it was followed up by that stinker in Nashville, but then coming back the way they have is just it's incredibly impressive, and you know all the credit to them, you know beating Montreal in Montreal is not an easy task um, after you know going down one nil in that game right uh, to Georgie in the first minute they came back like. This is a team that just continues to show, to show fight and has players that can, you know, continue this, you know, excellence, right? Bobby Wood, we're talking about. Um, Sergio Cordova up top. They just got Savarino back, right? Merrim is playing some great stuff right now. Pablo Ruiz. Like, you go down the lineup, and obviously Herrera and um, Brody are two of my favorite. Like, that might be my favorite um, fullback, you know, pairing in the league. We're talking about a complete team, top to you know, top to back. We're um, McMath making some unbelievable saves so far this year. This is a team that is just—it's clicking. And I mean, I guess we could have seen this happening, but I guess just none of us really believed in them. But they're showing why we should have. Um, And just a great team so far this season and a lot of fun to watch, especially in, uh, when they're at home and they've got the crowd behind them. It's been a lot of fun recently. Um, and that was epitomizing the three, no win over the dynamo when, um, on the weekend. When things are going um, right, they're going, they're going right. I mean, look at the, look at the goal that Wood scores off his head. He heads it off of his shin and, and it beats the keeper. You know, those are the type of things that, that go your way when things are going well. Um, when yeah. things are going badly, you head it off your shin and it goes, you know, out for for a goal kick so you know awesome for awesome for ourselves but you can just see what you know those little things um how they how they end up affecting in this case they were probably winning that game regardless right 
but right. I mean, but things like yeah. things like that tend to to fall your way when things are going well. No doubt. Um, and soccer is a game where you all you always need luck, right? If you're going to win, you need a little bit here or there. Um, and RSL's gotten that, but it's gotten them to you know third in the West, um, an impressive point total, and you know not looking like they're going to fall off the pace anytime soon, uh, based off how they're playing. Last thing I really want to touch on before we hit on a few specific games, um, NYCFC. Uh, they have climbed uh, back to first in the East after having that uh, CCL slump. They fought their way back in the playoff positions, back to the top of the East on 26 points. And we talked about goal differential, but hey, the best goal differential in the league. They had a couple massive wins like that six uh, nil versus RSL. Um and 3-0 versus the Quakes. But this is a team that has shown, really since CCL, what they are about. They've also played 13 games, which is one less than most of their contenders, um, both in the East and in the league as a whole. So we're, we're talking about a points per game of two, right? That's insane. <laughs> um, uh, the Union are just one point behind them. But, uh, you know, NYCFC are in every way the real deal. Um, and their players continue to show, including Tati Casianos, why they are generating, um, why, or why they won the MLS Cup, and why players like Tati are generating this uh, transfer interest. Um, Andres, I, I don't know if there's much to say about this team other than they're just really good everywhere on the pitch. And when you allow them to just focus on one thing and concentrate on really one league and each game at a time they're not going to lose too many of those games. I think that's the easiest way to put it. We've spent a bunch of time talking about, you know, the attack, Castellanos and Magno and Andrade, Santi Rodriguez, Maxi Morales, and that whole group. Um, but, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't great this week, and it hasn't actually been that good uh, here recently. But they're just such a good team overall. Um, you know, goalkeeper Sean Johnson had an amazing uh, game again this week. Um, and if you look back, this is a team they gave up zero goals in the entire month of May, except for one against Rochester in the Open Cup. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games, zero goals, except for the Open Cup Rochester game, where they where they won 3-1. That's really good. And for a team that, that we talk about their possession, their attack, um, the way that they can create chances, you know, to give up basic to have six clean sheets, um, five in the league. That's that that shows why they can win so many different ways. They can win one zero. They can win five four. Um, like they did with Toronto. Um, just not not much else to say. Just great all all around. Um, I'd be shocked if they don't finish top of the East and make a deep run again. Of course, the MLS Cup playoffs. You know, one game you can you know. Lucky bounce and you're out, but but this is the top team in the league for me. Yeah, um, I'm not gonna you know have too much resistance to that just because, like you said, wherever you look on the pitch, they are most of the time better than every team that they will play everywhere on the pitch. Um, you look at defensively, Maxine Chino's been out; he's been injured. Right, this is a player who has been a staple back there for years and years. Was a staple um, and a main reason why they won MLS Cup. He's been out. They brought in Tiago Martins, 
and he's playing incredibly well, right? Like you said, only one goal conceded, and that was a goal in the U.S. Open Cup in a game that they easily won. So it is crazy, but they are just dominating everywhere you look on the pitch. Even And even if, you know, like you said, the attack drops off here or there, they find the goal, they find a moment, and defensively they are so solid that they can, you know, weather the storm. Um, we look at this team, and they're... They haven't lost a game since the Seattle Sounders game on the on April the sixth in the second leg, um, or sorry, the first leg of Concaf Champions League. They literally haven't lost since the first week of April, and this is the last day of May. This is how good this team has been at times, even under the radar, because they you know did start in what twelfth in the East when they were climbing back. It's incredible, I think, when you look at the fact that they. Have drawn one 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 drawn one 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 one. I mean, I I you kind of run out of superlatives because they are the best team in the league, and we'll probably show it again at least when it comes to Supporter Shield. Um, that's kind of all I have on NYCFC and kind of the major trends that we've seen um in the league over the last uh kind of week and a half, two weeks since we've been off. I think we can start to dive in on the game specifics of this week. A lot of these teams that we talked about, um, obviously in action, a couple, you know, bigger, uh, more important games to talk about. Um, I think we can just start at uh, Dick Sporting Good Park, um, Colorado and Nashville. And this is a game that uh, is kind of your, you know, prototypical Nashville SC game, a 3-1 win with basically none of the ball. Um, 64% possession for the Rapids. That amounted to one goal, not a ton of chances. And, you know, if, if we really look at this game and the game flow, it was three goals in 17 minutes um, in the first 17 minutes for uh, Nashville. And they 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 closed this game before it really even uh, ever got open. Uh, Andres, is that kind of your analysis, too? Because I feel like that's kind of the easy analysis, at least for this game. Oh, I think you're right. Colorado, I thought, came out pretty flat. Um and you know the first goal was kind of a scrum that that worked out for where you know they get a, a touch on the back post and and Sipong is is wide open to tap it in um, but the second goal uh, you know they get the ball into Mukhtar in some space and he he has some magic to the to to get you know a pretty tight angle and, and beat Yarbrough near post and then on the on the third goal kind of Colorado just you know up the ball Hawkinson makes a great run and just puts it on a platter for for a wide open Hani Mukhtar so you know it was like nine minutes of a pretty big collapse for Colorado and pretty flat otherwise um, they hadn't lost at home in like you know close to a year I think it was like 24 or this, they were going for 24 um, games in a row um, and, you know, the Rubio goal at the end is kind of a consolation. They never really seemed like they were going to get back into it. Um, and for Nashville, they, they got those goals and then clamped down. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty straightforward analysis. Not not a whole lot uh, to unpack other than uh, Colorado's got to kind of, you know, forget about that, move on, and, and, and come out a little bit sharper next time. The hard thing is when you think this team's about to kick on, right? They um, beat the Sounders 1-0 at home. The Sounders are, you know, starting to become the team, you know, slowly but surely the team that won CCL. 
they won that game at home. You're 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 still at home and you lose. Like I, I it's hard for me to see exactly like this team's been beat the beat LAFC, good team, lost to Sporting KC, bottom of the West. Beat uh, Seattle, CCL champs, lost to Nashville. Like, again, it's so up and down. You don't really know what you're getting at times with this team. Um, that makes it really hard to analyze, which is what we're trying to do. Um, Rubio got another goal, and I think he's been a bright spot so far this season. We knew he was going to be, um, but he, he scored a few times. Generally looks dangerous when he's on the pitch. Um, but that's about it. He's, yeah, he's seven goals uh, in, like, 13 games. So, you know... Over half a goal a game from a striker is generally good, um, but the team doesn't have a ton to show for it, and they are uh, currently sitting out of the playoff spots, ninth in the West on 18 points. And there's, uh, and there's albeit that is tied for seventh. There are um, a lot of uh, excuse in this one. I mean, they didn't play midweek. They were at home. Yeah. Um, they pretty much ran out their pretty close to first choice lineup. Um, yeah. Just kind of a late an egg, not not a great performance, and and Nashville, and a, a really good player in Hani Mukhtar took advantage. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree, and that's kind of all there is to this game. I think is, un, you know, under inspiring, I guess, uninspiring from uh, the Rapids uh, and Nashville, kind of doing Nashville things, hitting on the counter, getting the goals out of you know being opportune, I guess, with their chances and defending. You know, extremely solidly um, weathering the storm uh, even after the Rubio goal when Colorado was pushing and pushing um, basically all Colorado in the final, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And still they Nashville was able to weather the storm. Colorado only got the one goal and Nashville gets the three points um, in hostile conditions at altitude. So I think moving forward, this is, you know, positive for Nashville. They are a playoff team as it stands right now by a, a four point margin. And I think, you know, based off the team that they have and the team that we know they can be, they really should stay here uh, for Colorado. I don't know where you go from here. It's up and down. If you can find a couple and, you know, string these wins back to back, maybe you can, maybe you're fine. But if you have losses like we had on, you know, Saturday, I don't know where that leaves you. And I think, Unfortunately, it will leave them out of a playoff spot if they don't, you know, find more consistent form. Um, it's a good team, but w- with that consistency, um, will come the results uh, that they that they will need to come or uh, to get into the playoffs. So I think that's kind of extremely necessary for them to start finding something um, after the international break. And it won't be easy because they will be traveling uh, to New York City um, to play NYCFC. So maybe not the best uh, Kickstarter game uh, imaginable. Um, John, you have hopped in, uh, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts on uh, New England and Philadelphia. Um, may- maybe not just the game specifically, because it was a 1-1 draw, and you know, generally New England-Philadelphia games aren't always the most wild of games. But how do you kind of see these two uh, teams' seasons playing out so far, um, and how do you see it you know, kind of post this uh, stalemate uh, in Foxborough? In Foxborough, sorry. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, you know... First of all, um, you know, glad to be glad to be hopping on. Sorry, I'm a little late, boys. But um, yeah, uh, I, I think you know, um, two heavyweights going at it in the middle of the season. Um, you know, I, I think it's particularly important because Buxa is, of course, rumored to be leaving, and um, it's also uh, you know um, a, a big deal for the two to be meeting this early on in the season. Um, I I, um, I think that. You know, 
it's it's interesting because I think both teams are coming in maybe off of not maybe disappointing performances, but certainly lesser performances. Um, you know, maybe they're not firing on all cylinders with like they would like. And so I, I think it's interesting for them to sort of be playing each other at this point in the season. I, I think certainly Philly probably feels uh, a little more disappointed by the result given their recent form. Um, you know, I, I think it's also interesting because this is the type of game that you would maybe ex- expect Philly, given their form, to sort of, um, you know, have their way, if you, if you will. Um, but yeah, I think that, the, again, these, these are two playoff teams. These are two great coaches, lots and lots of talent. Um, but yeah, the big one out of this one is that it's Books' last game for me. I mean, I think that, that this has to be uh, one of the last, and you know, it's one of the last games for Turner as well, right? So um, I, to me, those are the two big storylines coming out of this one. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up Books. I completely, I, I mean, I saw it, I just completely slipped my mind, but he's going to, I think R, it's RC Lens, I think is how you say it, um, uh, in the French Lyon. Um, he, he had been rumored to, you know, go back to Europe at, you know, many points uh, in the last year or so. He finally gets it, um, and I, yeah, I think I think the deal is done. He may have played his last minutes um, with New England on Saturday. Uh, New England's a team that's 11th place, right? Four playoff or sport, uh, excuse me, four spots out of a playoff um, position, but they all are only two points, um, you know, clear of Inter Miami. Um, so. I think this is a team that if they get their act together, like we were saying with Colorado, they should be a playoff team. But they haven't gotten their act together yet. Um, and their CCL run was short, shorter than NYCFC and Seattle. And so there's less of an excuse now. They really have to start kicking on or else, you know, they will not make the playoffs because the East has some teams that are really firing right now. Um, for Philly, again, they're they are kind of hovering after the start to the season that was really really good they hadn't lost a game um to start the season until like two months in they lost to toronto and ever since then they've only won once um uh, that includes open cup by the way they lost to orlando they only won just last weekend um versus uh portland in portland it's all been draws um in the league which isn't terrible but we're looking at a team that you know really should be challenging for the top of the East, and they haven't really hit their stride um, since, I don't know, really a month and a half ago at this point. Andres, what do you see in Philly that, you know, they've kind of stagnated after a, such a hot start to the season? Um, not a terrible result in New England, but really one that you would hope to get three points, at least if you're looking at league positions and how these teams have kind of fared so far. Yeah, first, I want to say I cannot stand penalties off of you know these handballs where the the defenders trying to run and 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 defend and the ball kind of comes off of them and that's what that's how New England got their goal was you know Jack Elliott kind of leaving an elbow a little bit a little bit out but you know Jack Elliott's a pretty long player and it's it can't be you know that easy to to be athletic and run and cover you know, top players and, and not, you know, get penalized for, for a handball. You know, I think it's really harsh considering how difficult goals are to come by to to get to give one away that, that, that way. Um, but it is what it is. New England gets the goal. Um, and then the Union really kind of struggled to, to generate chances. Um, and I think 
you know, New England also, I thought, really missed Buxa because um, they could generate, you know, a lot of shots and possession in and around the box, but not really anything of quality. And, and Books has been pretty hot for them and, and bails them out a, a lot of the time. So I thought they missed him a lot. And, and again, Sergio Santos, you know, one of those guys that can really stretch the field, but doesn't really put away a lot of his a lot of his chances. And I think, you know, you have Michael Aurora finally putting away a, a, a chance here in this game. And I think that's going to be key for Philly is getting consistent goal scoring out of out of Aurora or or out of Carranza because he was missing as well. So I think goal scoring consistently for Philly is, is kind of a problem. And you saw that they really went after Omar Gonzalez in the second half of this game. And eventually a pretty brutal clearance leads to the to the goal. Um, but I, I don't see how they how they generate a ton of chances. I you know Aronson got the start and I didn't see a whole lot of, of chance creation out of him. Outside of that, he looks exactly like his brother when you're watching on TV. I mean, from far away, they look identical. Um, but yeah, I don't see how they're they're generating that many chances and, and finishing them. You know, goal scoring I think is is their is their Achilles heel. You're the Union fan. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that's been the case for a couple years now, and we look at you know the pairing of Carranza and Aura, and that's supposed to be that's supposed to be the pairing. That's supposed to be the one that you know will you know carry this team you know past where they've been, even past the Eastern Conference Final, and hopefully to MLS Cup glory. You know, Mikel Aura has played a decent amount since coming. He has had injuries, and really for all of May. He's been kind of nagged by that hamstring injury that's kept him out. Um, this was his first game since the national game that he scored his first goal in. Um, that's a whole month without really playing with Carranza and developing that partnership that Jim Curtin wants. You know, that's supposed to be the goal scoring threat. You know, the running, the movement, and kind of combining all those elements that the union had, you know, had some of and been lacking um, in a little bit uh, in past years, you know, with the goal scoring or. The, you know, the pressure, the high press, all that kind of stuff was supposed to be combined in this partnership. And we've seen it like once or twice. It's just not been a thing so far this season. When that comes and when, you know, Curran's able to implement the game plan exactly the way he wants with the players that he wants, maybe we'll start to see some more consistent, um, you know, play developing and patterns of play that, you know, produce goal opportunities. But until that happens, if that happens at all, that's going to be the union's Achilles heel is that they just won't score goals enough and you can defend as well as the union do and let up, you know, one goal or no goals. But if you can't score, you're going to get gotten enough games and enough big games that it's going to, you know, you're not going to, you know, get to where you want to be, which is, you know, the best in the league. It's just not going to happen. Um, For Buxa, his last game, it looks like, uh, was last weekend. I just clarified something I said earlier. Looks like his last minutes were going to be last weekend's game. And I mean, just quickly to touch on his, you know, Rev's career, he's been really good in MLS. Uh, he's been, I think, probably the best attacking threat, like just pure striker um, at uh, the Revs in his time there. His partnership with Bo was spectacular. Hill feeding him um, last year was a, a sight to behold. And I really like what he was able to do with um, the Revs. They just never were really able to, you know, get over the hump. And I don't think he was really ever an MVP threat. Um, John, do you have like, kind of like final thoughts on Buxa with the Revs? Because, I mean, this is a player that 
you know, was quite influential to this team, and I think worth, you know, touching on briefly before he goes off to France and furthers his career. Yeah, well, I think he led him to a supporter shield, right? Like, I think him with Gustavo Bo, like, I think that they, they really did what they brought him in to do, which is have some success. Um, and, uh, you know, beyond success, right? The, the, the most points in the regular season um, of any team, right? Um, I think from me, I'm, I'm always very MLS focused. And so I think for me, I can't help but sort of ponder, you know, with a Revs team that's already struggling, what, what is his absence going to mean for them, right? Um, are they going to, this is certainly not going to be a positive catalyst for them. And so it, it has to really leave you wondering, it's, can Josie really fill that role for them? Because um, so far we really haven't seen much out of him this season. Um, and so, I, you know, for me, I just get worried for the Revs. They're losing Tur- Matt Turner. They're losing him. So I, for me, this, you know, obviously for him, that probably makes sense, um, you know, but th- these are just my thoughts. I, I think I worry for, th- for the Revs and, and what it means for them as a franchise. I think, yeah, Andres, I'm, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm interested to throw it to you. And I do want to touch on what John just said as well. Um, is that in this game, they really rolled out Gustavo Bo, and that was it. Like uh, behind him, like Carlos Hill, Trousesen, Legit. Um, they can kind of run that diamond with two strikers, but without two strikers, you're not left with a bunch of goal danger on the field. Really, just that Gustavo Bo, you know, kind of handling everything, and Carlos Hill kind of working his magic underneath. Without two strikers, this system is kind of iffy when it comes to goal danger. But Andres, what are, what are your thoughts on you know uh, Brooks's time in MLS, and yeah, like uh, John was saying, what this, his absence now could mean uh, for the Revs? I, I think the Revs are selling at a good time. Um, if you look through his numbers, he was, you know, pretty good last year. He had 16 goals, um, which for sure is, is a good return. Um, and it, his goals and assists, you know, per 90 minutes and his goals per 90 are up again this year. Um, so he's probably, you know, kind of peak value, um, 25 coming off of a season and a half of, of good soccer going into a World Cup. Um, I, I understand why why they're doing it or why they, why they're selling now. Um, from the revs, you know, going forward, you know, they'll probably play some sort of you know four two three one, um, is what I what I'm thinking with Bo you know, up top, um, and then some combination on the wings of Leget um, and the Colombian um, Dylan Borrego, Barreto or Borrego, um, don't remember his how you say his last name and Trustison some combination of them and then you know something like magnamara and polster as double pivots uh, in front of a back four so i think i don't think they're gonna expect josie to play you know 90 minutes um even with even without buxa i i would as a revs if you're a revs fan i don't think that's something you'd want to see um so i'm hoping that that's not their their plan if they if they want to play with two strikers they could play you know justin Rennix up front with Bo, kind of, you know, two some sort of false nines, um, and then bring Josie off the off the bench anyway. Barrero, not Borrego, Barrero. Um, that's kind of how I see them going forward. Because uh, we haven't seen, you know, Josie in any sort of form that indicates he's a 90-minute player right now. And I, I think it's fine. Like, we kind of saw what they were going to run out in this game. It's not terrible, and obviously you still caught the reigning MVP in Gustavo Bo, who was 
you know, who is a, a, a very good striker, um, uh, has come from good, co- good clubs in the past and has shown um, with the Revs that he can be, you know, goal dangerous. Obviously, just Buxa and the numbers, I think, speak for themselves. And that's what you have to replace is like, the like 16 goals isn't just you walk down the street and you pick up a guy who can score you 16 goals. It's just it's not that easy um, to get. And we saw you know he's a top five level player in Europe. Like that's what they're have to. Re- that's what they have to replace at least in terms of you know the goals and assists, right? And they may not be done by um you know buying somebody. I, that that roster might not be set. You know now they've sold Turner, Buchanan, and, and Buxa in the last couple of years and they've really only spent money on Barrero. So um, I don't know what their, what the club finance situation is, but I, I imagine that they have some money to spend on, on maybe a young number nine, you know, maybe a sub 20, you know, a U 22 initiative type guy that they can bring in. But yeah, we'll see what happens. In the summer. That's the hope for the rep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I think that's the hope for the revs, right? That they get someone else, but well, I guess we'll see. Um, Revs still sitting, um, you know, off the pace right now in 11th. Uh, but, you know, obviously a game in hand on a lot of those teams in those lower playoff spots and, um, you know, the talent and uh, to do it, uh, to come back into the, the playoff spots and maybe make some noise uh, in the back half of the season. Uh, we're kind of getting to that point almost. Just a few more games and we're in the second half. Uh, for Philly, it's uh, still second in the East, just... Um, one point uh, behind NYCFC. I guess we'll move on to another Eastern Conference showdown. Um, I featured some unbelievable Eloy Room saves. Uh, Atlanta and Columbus from Mercedes-Benz. And boy, this was a fun one. Uh, not really if you're an Atlanta fan. More of an excruciating one for Columbus, though. I mean, unbelievable road points. Uh, very much deserved if we're looking at... Um, you know, some of the individual performances in this one, but 2-1, the final, um, two first-half goals from the crew, and uh, one stoppage-time goal from Dom Dwyer that was almost followed by an unbelievable strike uh, goal, but it turned out that Eloy Room uh, has a little bit of magic under that hat, and uh, boy, I mean, one of the saves of the season so far, uh, he... He keeps it at a one-goal game, and that's how it finishes. For the crew, uh, it, again, it's been up and down so far this season. They are currently sitting in ninth. For Atlanta, they are sitting in 10th. So we're not talking about the top, top of the East, but it, it made for a, a fun watching game, especially when you know Atlanta was really going for it at the end. Uh, when you say, Andres, I think this was uh, just like aesthetically one of the you know best games to watch just because of, uh, you know, just I, I guess it was fun. If there, in one word, it was a fun game. Yeah, it, yeah, it's fun. But if you're Atlanta, you have to be really, really disappointed. For sure, for sure. You're at home. Um, the crew have been really struggling, and they were without Zilla Rayan. You have to be expecting to to get a you know a win out of that, um, and at the very worst, you know a draw. And to be down two nothing and, and kind of have to push for that, you know, that's got to be a, a a position that you've got to be super frustrated. Um, I think we saw that. I believe Pineda got a red at the end of that game, um, and, and you know, the only solace I think you can take, sure, like you said, the the Moreno strike at the end almost almost ties it. Um, we see we see with Atlanta they have talent to do 
that sort of stuff with with Alameda and Moreno and Araujo. Um, but the biggest, you know, solace you can take is that Joseph um, came on at halftime, played 45 minutes. Um, that's his first appearance in like two months. Um, and even though Cisneros has been pretty good for them, uh, you know, obviously they're a super different team if, if Joseph is healthy um, and they're going to need him um, to, to really make a run here. So, yeah, I, I agree. It was, it was fun. Mercedes-Benz tends to, to give those, those type of fun games because of, you know, the crowd and the dome and everything. Um, but I think you have to be super disappointed as, a, as an Atlanta fan. And from a Columbus side, those are three, three points you probably weren't expecting without your best player on the road. So they, they needed something to spark them and going forward. And, you know, maybe this is it. Yeah. And Columbus came out firing a, a goal in the first minute from Jonathan Mensah, a corner that they immediately won off the kickoff and a breakaway goal. Um, uh, that was a, some good individual work, I think, from Eric Cordato um, on 45 minutes. It's called getting to uh, John, Ricardo I mean, Island. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or, or um, Alex Jean. Yes. Uh, I know. I, I, I mean, it, w- it was an unbelievable goal. Like, the ball gets played over the top, and he just takes his defender one-on-one, and, I mean, he, f- he finds some room. Uh, beautiful strike into the bottom right corner. I mean, it, it's everything you could have asked for um, from a striker that, I mean, isn't really your first or uh, now it's he has to be your second choice um, after Giassi goes. But, you know, they were hoping for Barry to be that guy. If her title ends up being that guy, um, I guess there won't be any there will not be any complaints in crew land. But, you know, for, for a guy that hasn't played a ton this season, uh, it was a, a moment of magic, I think, um, you know, right before the half. Uh, John, I'm interested to uh, kind of get your take on the crew so far this season. It's been up and down. Um, some different games and some different play styles, right? Dominating at home versus Nashville and not getting the goal. And now kind of this, you know, getting your goals and sitting back and absorbing pressure and getting the three points uh, in Atlanta. It's been an interesting team. I'm interested to hear your take on uh, how they've kind of progressed so far this season um, as they currently sit in uh, ninth, uh, two points off a playoff spot. Yeah, well, they've had they've had a rough couple of weeks, right? Uh, when you look at their um, schedule, they just got done playing LAFC. Before that, they played NYCFC. Before that, they played the Revs. Uh, and so they've they've been on a, a a stretch, right? They've been on a stretch of playing some really solid teams. And Atlanta's really the first team, you know, out of those that maybe is not on solid footing. Um, Atlanta has had a, a good couple, uh, you know, show of games, but you know they've been plagued with injuries all season. Um, and they just have struggled to find their form um, as Joseph has struggled to find his form and as he struggled to rehabilitate that knee. Um, and so, you know, I think for them, these are some big points, right? This is a big morale booster for that team in Columbus. Um, I think it's almost, um, necess- it's, it's almost to say it's almost a necessary morale booster. I mean, they were the point of the season where, you know, you're – looking at their, you know, string of results and, and there's not a lot to positively walk away from. So um, going all the way down to Atlanta, pick, taking three points, um, you're going to be happy. And for this, this might be the turning point of their season, you know, um, especially considering in the last couple of weeks, um, they lost Jossie Zardes, um, who, you know, the, the club sold, but they had a rough parting of ways, right? Um, Caleb Porter really threw 
Josh Cesar is under the bus. And um, you can say what you want about that team and, and what he was contributing, but he had been a real cornerstone of that organization for a while for them. And so, you know, I think for them trying to find their identity, trying to turn a corner, trying to really salvage this season, I, I think this game could prove to be important. That being said, again, Atlanta is not, you know, the poster child of success right now. So, um, but you know, you'll take three points away anywhere. Right. So, um, yeah, that, that's my general take. I, I hope for them that this really motivates that locker room and installs some belief that, um, perhaps has been hard to come by in the last, uh, string of games. Yeah. I think this is a big belief game. Like what, what can this mean as a catalyst going forward? Um, I mean, in this game, there wasn't like a ton in this, like it was it wasn't a massive, you know, I guess, performance or super, you know, and it wasn't unbelievable from either team. Atlanta dominated possession 69%. But, I mean, the chances were there, but it wasn't like five breakaways and they just couldn't finish one. Like, it wasn't one of those games. It was just like they dominated possession, weren't able to create a ton of high-quality opportunities, and almost stole a point at the end and just weren't able to. And for Columbus, like you said, it, these are big points um, and what this can mean for their season yet to see. But, you know, they're both on uh, 13 games played, both on 16 points. And um, I, I guess for for these teams, probably on the outside looking in of how I would project uh, the, the playoff race right now, but they have the players to maybe make a run. We're talking about Atlanta, who was a playoff side last year, Columbus, who, you know, two years removed from winning MLS Cup. So these are two good teams with quality players. Can they put it together um, moving forward, uh, going down the stretch? And for Columbus, if you can continue to play like this and be opportune and defend as well as they have been defending um, and defended in this one, maybe there's something there for you. Um, Columbus in ninth. Atlanta in 10th, and a 2-1 result uh, for the crew. Uh, really, that's it for the games I want to uh, touch on. I do want to uh, you know, highlight Luke Quinas and Lewis Morgan's goals uh, from Red Bull's 4-1 win over DC. That, those were some absolute bangers. I mean, we talk about goals of the season. Those might be two contenders in just that one game. Lewis Morgan's volley was just, I mean, that thing was hit so sweet. And Lukinas kind of falling down, poking it, but like an amazing volley in the top corner. I mean, that that's those are some moments of quality from two players that have really, for me, been the difference um, for the Red Bulls' attack so far this season. Um, you know, new additions from last year: uh, Lewis Morgan from inside the league, Lukinas from outside it, and you know maybe the two best attacking threats that the Red Bulls have to offer, producing um, some stunners over the weekend. Those are just uh, some. Uh, two fun goals I wanted to highlight before we move into really kind of touching up on um, some loose ends. Uh, we'll hit the Charlotte situation. That is, I mean, that is currently developing. There's not really a ton of information, but we'll hit on that in just a minute. Uh, Andre, so you did want to touch on inner Miami and um, I wanted to as well, because this is a team that has some somehow found their way in the seventh after a roller coaster of a season so far. They are sitting in the playoff spots. How has that happened with the roster that they have? You can kind of just give a deep dive on Inner Miami, and I, I think um, it, it'll be extremely interesting just because of how this team has gotten to the point that they've gotten to. It's been crazy. Yeah, so at first, I think 
we need to give a huge shout out to Chris Henderson um, because they tore that whole roster apart um, at the end of last season and basically rebuilt from almost scratch. Um, and and what's really interesting is they've, they've kind of pulled guys from from all over the place. And I'm not sure where, you know, or how they found them. Got to also give them a ton of credit in the scouting department. Um, they've got a, you know, a guy in Christopher McVeigh. He's playing mostly left back, sometimes center back, depending on who's available. Um, and they, they picked him up, you know, out of the first division in Sweden. But he, he really only had like 40 appearances in Sweden. Um, you know, they've got a Finnish uh, winger slash midfielder, Robert Taylor. Um, they picked him up out of the first division in Finland. Um, they, you know, they brought in Damien Lowe, uh, Jamaican international, um, who hadn't really played in MLS. He was playing in Egypt. Um, and they're pairing him with a super draft first round pick uh, rookie in Ryan Saylor. Um, that's their that's their center back pairing with a well-known, you know, U.S. international DeAndre Yedlin at right back. So right now that back line is McVeigh, Saylor, Lowe and Yedlin. It's a super, you know, eclectic way of going about building a back line totally rebuilt in the last few weeks and it's been really really good i mean you look at the results it's six six games in a row unbeaten uh, you know they got knocked out of the open cup on on penalties um and so and defensively they've been super solid um just trying to remember uh, they gave up two goals to dc united a few weeks back and since then you know they had a, a clean sheet against red bull they had a clean sheet against Philly on the road, um, and then they gave up a late goal to Portland uh, in a home win. So, yeah, defensively much better. And then, you know, in attack, they've been doing a lot of, you know, over-the-top balls to Ariel Lasseter, who's been really good for them, and, and so has Campana. Um, Campana just got a call-up to the Ecuadorian national team. Um, and seems like Iguain is accepting or okay with this, role where he's coming on for the last you know 20 to 30 minutes replacing Campana holding up the ball switching play um so yeah I've been um pleasantly surprised with with the last month or so of of, of soccer out of them um and just kind of impressed with with how they put that roster together you know is it enough to to get themselves into a playoff spot at the end of the year I don't know it's, it's tough to say um I think they'll probably be on the outside looking in, um, but I've heard a lot of you know dis discussion and chatter that that's a spoon contending team, um, and after a few games they definitely look that way, and I don't see that from them now. So, yeah, I you know shout out to to the the management team to make you know what was a pretty bad situation much better, um, and to find some pretty good MLS players out of places that you don't, you you know, wouldn't normally be finding them. So well done. Yeah. And, and you definitely have a, you know, a greater knowledge of the situation than I do. But I mean, we talk about Chris Henderson. Um, and like you said, he's found these guys in places that a lot of MLS teams don't want to go to have to find these players. He's cobbled together a, a roster from a lot of guys who I hadn't heard of coming into this season and yet have produced, after a lot of losses, a good deal of wins that have seen them, you know, from a pretty awful start. You know, they're in a, you know, 
a position that a lot of teams, including those two teams that we just touched on, Atlanta and Columbus, are looking up at. Right, <laughs> They're in seventh position, which, if the season ended today, would be good enough to get to the playoffs somehow. Um, this is a team that really hasn't found their footing at MLS, and maybe just recently, in the last you know month or two, has started to do so with a lineup that, you know, when when the idea of Inter-Miami was initially conceived, I guarantee you this wasn't the kind of roster that David Beckham had in mind. But yet, here it is. Um, and it's a team that, hey, if they're able to continue this run, I will be so impressed with, and it will be deserved. So I'll be interested to see how that goes. Um, and thank you for touching on that, Andres. John, do you want to hit on Inter-Miami and just kind of the the craziness that has surrounded this team and, you know, the, the playoff spot in which they currently reside. Yeah. Um, when you mentioned inner Miami, um, it's so funny, even before, you know, um, Andres sort of spoke, I was like, great. I get to talk about Chris Henderson. And then he immediately started talking about Chris Henderson. I was like, man, that's what I wanted to talk about. Uh, cause I really do think the job he's done down there has been extraordinary. I think it's really, really easy for people to forget um, that Chris Henderson was a tremendous talent hound up in Seattle. I mean, he's responsible for the signing of Nico Ladero. Um, he's responsible for a lot of the talent uh, up there. And he learned under the best. He learned under Garth Lagerway, who I think is the best, um, you know, in the business. And so uh, I think the job that he was handed, the hand he was dealt there in Miami, uh, walking into that situation uh, was absolutely ludicrous. Uh, it's hard to imagine a worst, worst situation, um, you know, just from a business perspective, right? Let, let's just remind ourselves where they're at, right? They have sanctions from MLS because they went about building their rosters the wrong way, right? They had more money on their payroll than they were allowed to have, and they had to offload it. And then on top of that, they had to offload the amount of money that they now had to accommodate for the sanctions, right? And on top of that, they weren't even good with all that money on their payroll. And so really, truly an impossible task. Uh, and they gutted the entire thing uh, and really turned it around. Um, and then I think the other thing that maybe might get unsung is I think that Iguayim was was really rough on that locker room. I think that, uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, even before, even in the past year, he did not look particularly great or inspiring. And even in his comments to the press, uh, his attitude seemed to speak volumes. He was uh, frustrated and not having fun. And somehow Phil Neville got that under wraps this season, man. Somehow Phil Neville uh, sort of has reworked the culture of that locker room and has really sort of got this into a functioning team. Right, we we can talk about players, we can talk about talent, all we want. But at the end of the day, you have to have something that's cohesive as a unit. You have to have teamwork. Um, it, it may be elementary, but it's absolutely necessary. And that team just did not have it. And he's somehow fashioned something out of nothing, right? Um, and so, it, kudos to both of them. Um, they've they've they found some good things. Um, they've you know squabbled people from across the globe. Uh, and I, I agree. I don't think that they're going to win the wooden spoon. I, I think they're, they're far too advanced for that at this point. And um, I, I am impressed with what they've put together this season. And honestly, I look forward to what Chris Henderson's going to do when he's not hamstrung by, you know, sanctions, right? What is he going to do when he has more of the reins, right? What is he going to do when he can make those big purchases 
because he is such a talent hound, man. He, he has an eye and a knack for finding players who not only are talented, but also, you know, um, how do I put this? Work hard for their club, right? Nico Ladero works hard for their club. Uh, you know, Juan Paulo, who was, was his last signing before he left, um, or he left before he was signed, but he was the last person he identified for the club. He's not only a tremendous talent, but he works hard for the club, right? Those are the type of people you want on your team. Those are the type of people that build a winning culture. And he has a knack for finding them, man. So uh, I'm impressed. I like what I see. I hope they make the playoffs this season. I think that'd be a fun redemption story. Um, but yeah, uh, good, good things coming out of Miami. Yeah. I mean, from a club that looked like the spoon favorite after, um, like, I don't know, six, seven games to, you know, now in the playoff spot uh, for Chris Henderson's sake and for the club's sake, you know, making the playoffs would be, you know, unbelievable and 100% deserved after what they've gone through for the past couple of years and you know, developing this team into what it is right now, which is a, a winner as it currently stands. So, yeah, uh, major props to Inter-Miami. Uh, Andres, I know you got to hop out. So thank you so much for joining. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess we'll continue with John uh, and talk about the craziness in Charlotte, which, you know, for John, you're a Charlotte fan. This is your thing. Um at about 8.30 this morning, it was announced that, you know, uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez is no longer the coach of Charlotte FC. This is after, you know, leading Charlotte um, so far this season uh, to one of the better results so far of any expansion side in league history. You know, it's not been amazing by any means, but it's a team that, you know, as of right now, sits in eighth. Sits two points off a playoff spot, which... When you look at you know what he was saying before the season, and what happened in the first couple of weeks of the season, is kind of amazing. This is a coach that you know some of the players seem to like, and some of them don't. That the front office is not on terms with, but was producing enough results to make you think that hey, just pure soccer instinct tells you he should stay, and yet he is gone. And it was a very interesting press conference by uh, Zoran Cronetta, the uh, sporting director, I believe he is. I mean, there's a lot to dive into. I'll kind of let you go wherever you want to go as a Charlotte native, as somebody who knows what David Tepper's ownership is like for both Charlotte FC and for the Carolina Panthers. Kind of take this where you want to go. Miguel Angel Ramirez out in Charlotte. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the first thing that needs to be said is that um, the fan base really loved Miguel Ramirez. Um, I think the fan base as a whole was absolutely shocked to see this. Uh, They found... And really, the city of Charlotte found his um, candid candor uh, just, uh, you know, um, contagious. Uh, I think oftentimes um, Charlotte has been a town where, um, you know, it's, it's a little southern. And so sometimes the people there, especially coaches, um, they're used to, you know, coaches in the Carolina Panthers that maybe are a little political in their answers and, you know, are a little guarded and... Um, you know, I, I think they found his frankness, uh, you know, attractive. They found it refreshing, if you will. Um, at least I did, certainly. And um, then when you had the on-field product, product, Charlotte was fun to watch, man. I, I read an article earlier this week from The Guardian, which ranked uh, subjectively all the teams in the MLS based on how fun they are to watch. And they ranked Charlotte 11th out of all of the MLS teams in terms of how fun they are to watch, which is interesting considered, you know, they're not probably 11th in terms of points. Right. And so 
I, I think it's, you know, from a purely fan perspective, it's just sad because I think he deserved better. Um, I, I think w- if you're not from Charlotte, this doesn't make a ton of sense in terms of a firing, but as someone who's from the Carolinas, it makes a lot of sense. So just a little bit of background without maybe going too, too deeply into, you know, the NFL. Um, David Tepper took over the Carolina Panthers all the way back, I want to say in 2018. He took over for Jerry Richardson, who um, kind of left a little disgraced, but previous to that was a really beloved owner, had owned the team for a very, very long time. Um, and David Tepper came in, and um, a lot of the decisions he's made since owning the Panthers has not been very popular. Um, you know, I could name a lot of different things. He's held on to a coach and Matt Rule that they're not a big fan of. Um, they had a franchise quarterback called Cam Newton that you know a lot of Charlotte fans wanted him to hold on to at numerous different times. Um, and so, in short, his decisions for the Carolina Panthers have not been great. Um, from a culture perspective, people have not been a fan of the decisions he's made from a culture perspective. And on the field, the Panthers haven't been very good from a football perspective. And so the reason this all matters to our conversation today is that, um, you know, one of the reasons that Charlotte has been really well received in the city and in the Carolinas is because uh, there was some success there, some success that wasn't being experienced in the Panthers organization. In fact, I remember jokes about uh, that were being made about how successful Charlotte was at home compared to the Panthers. And there were, there were memes being made of this. Um, that really sort of exemplifies how the city felt. And so that's why this firing feels so abrupt. Um, it, it is, as a Charlotte native, whether it's true or not, it's hard for this to not feel uh, like just another one of David Tepper's wacky decisions. Um, it's just really hard for it not to feel that way. Um, he just repeatedly has made decisions that don't make sense with our city. Um, the Panthers had a really long-term uh, agreement with the city of Rock Hill, which is like a really small city outside of it, where they did their spring uh, spring training there, which doesn't sound like it's really important at all, but it was a really big like cultural thing and he like terminated that contract. So what I'm saying is that the feelings have really soured towards David Tepper. And I just don't think that this is going to help at all. Um, now that being said, the press conference that was released earlier today basically said nothing. They didn't discuss Miguel's firing at all. In fact, they repeatedly said they didn't want us to speculate. Um, and you know, there's numerous reasons that could be, uh, but we as fans are going to speculate, right? That's the nature of who we are. Um, and bearing something really, you know, horrible and really sort of morally terrible, this firing doesn't make any sense and will only continue to make the city more frustrated with David Tepper and his ownership group. Yeah. Um, I think that's great context, especially with the Tepper thing. is It is extremely interesting. Um, I think, and I, I saw this pop out uh, a couple hours ago. You know, many hours after uh, the firing was announced. Uh, this is from John Hayes. He's a, a Charlotte guy. Um, knows a lot about the club. Runs a podcast. Works for the Athletic. You know, a, 
a a guy who clearly has ties um, and knows what's going on. And here's I'll, I'll read his tweet verbatim. Uh, what I've come to understand regarding Charlotte FC firing Miguel Angel Ramirez is that a designated player refused to play for the club after the international break. If Mar, that's Miguel Angel Ramirez, was still in charge. This provides context on Zoran's statement. Uh, that's sporting director Zoran Canetta. We had no choice. We had to do it. Um, it is, again, not to speculate, but it is pretty clear from this that it was Carol Swiderski, um, who was not in love with Miguel Angel Ramirez. This is extremely interesting because if we look at this, it looks like it could be Tepper, but maybe it's also the players not liking him. But the fans like so it's it's an extremely interesting situation. Uh, John, did you see that? And what's your response to that? Is a designated player at the very least is what uh, we know um, would not play. Literally would not step on the field for Charlotte um, if Miguel Angel Ramirez was not gone uh, by the middle of June. Yeah, I, I hadn't read that particular tweet. I had read that perhaps some of the disdain for Miguel Ramirez had trickled down into the um, DP players. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's interesting. It, it's, it's tough to sort of see into, um, you know, a locker room. I mean, Miguel Ramirez was, was, was a personality and he was a big personality. And I do think pretty objectively his style of play, the style of play he, he wanted to play didn't really line up with Sardeski's strengths. Um, you know, Swiderski hurt hit a couple absolute bangers off of some free kit kicks um earlier in the year I think maybe just one or two um but you know he really had gone cold recently uh and I, I did think it was interesting because I thought that he wasn't really being included in in what um the style of play Miguel wanted to play was um and Shimmy Shiki who, who was traded from Colorado was really starting to have a resurgence um, you know, coming over these last two or three weeks, he scored, I think, two, th- two, three goals somewhere in that neighborhood, um, depending upon if you include Open Cup. But yeah, I, I think that that's an interesting one. Um, you know, as with all things, winning heals wounds, right? So if they come out of this and they start winning, that's going to be great. But if they, if they come out of this a train wreck, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to see, um, how they come out in the positive as an organization, right? Cause they've had, to- they've had some turnover in other places in this front office, right? They had their GM turnover. They've had a lot of turnover for a brand new franchise, right? And so it's hard for them to not look like they're in a bad spot. Um, coming out of this now, again, as I've said, healing, healing w- heals all wounds. So if he really was what was holding them back, um, then great. Their next couple of weeks should be really, really telling. But after the international break, but from the outside looking in, from someone who watched this team every week, from someone who follows all the Charlotte Twitter, you know, accounts, from someone who grew up in the city of Charlotte, uh, Miguel seemed like he was something that was fresh, something that was new. He seemed like the reason they were overperforming, and so um, yeah, it, it is. It it is interesting for sure. Yeah, I can't imagine that his comments earlier in the season there, just before the season regarding the roster situation were, you know, was particularly inspiring for the team. And certainly not. He had kind of been talk- talking at the front office through the media, telling them to do better. But again, if we're talking about this in a sporting sense, 
a coach that is giving you results, giving you wins when they might not have otherwise come under a different system or whatever. Um, for a front office too, you know, that goes for both, like, both the front office and the players. Like, winning is supposed to be the thing that you're here to do. They were winning more than a lot of expansion teams up to this point. And, you know, not even with the massive, you know, crazy signings, you know, with a good player in Swiderski and uh, Juzviak and, um, you know, those DPs and some of the other players that they supplemented in, Ben Bender, the number one overall pick, right? These are good players. These aren't like, you know, MVP level, you know, performers at this point so far. And yet they were getting enough wins to put them in, you know, playoff contention already in their their very young franchise that should generally be good enough to keep a coach. And it just wasn't the case for Miguel Angel Ramirez, which makes you think that there is something more um, that we don't know yet. Hopefully that comes out. Um, John, do you have any more thoughts on Charlotte um, and this kind of developing story? Because it is, you know, we talked at length in a previous pod about um, the firing of Matias Almeida at the Quakes, and that was kind of something that was expected. We knew that was going to come. Who knew whether it was going to be, you know, in April, at the end of the season, sometime in between, but we knew that was coming because that for years and years that just hadn't worked, and the team wasn't producing. In this case, there was disconnect, clearly, between the front office and the coach at the very least. I'm not sure about the locker room, but the team was winning, and he was like... I don't know. We're, we're recording this on May the 31st. He was a little over three months in to his MLS, you know, managerial career, and he will not manage another game for Charlotte FC in the foreseeable future because, you know, they canned him after, what, 14 games or so and eighth place? There seems to be, you know, a disconnect there and certainly more surprising than, like, what I was saying with the Almeida firing when you say, like, I, I don't know... What else there is to talk about this? Because we don't know a bunch of details, but I think the main thing to talk about is just the surprise factor of it. Yeah, well, and you're right. You you mentioned, and I do think that for our listeners who maybe are not following some of the beats, it is important to say he, you know, Miguel Ramirez did talk at the front office quite a bit the very beginning of the season. He said in Spanish, in regards to the roster, uh, we're screwed. Uh, That's perhaps a generous translation. Um, or rather a, a polite translation. Um, he, you know, at one point in time when talking about the roster said, you know, I'm not Harry Potter. I can't do magic sort of referring to the state of his roster all in the press, all, you know, all to, to reporters or these are things he said. So, you know, um, in American sports, we're not really used to coaches saying that these bold of things, right. Um, you know, and in, in other places in the world, managers speaking this candidly is pretty normal and pretty pretty uh expected uh but in this side of the world it's you know not as normal and um i think it's a shame right i I said this on the almeida firing i think that having personalities in our sport is a positive thing i think it draws people into the game it makes people care more it makes things entertaining right It, it just does and so uh i I think that it's an awful shame that he was fired. It's even more of a shame because the product on the field was quite good. He had them playing a very unique style that was entertaining to watch. They were very committed to playing out of the back. It led to some bad goals sometimes, but it also led to some beautiful soccer that just is not you know, normal for an expansion franchise. So um, I sure hope he play, he coaches somewhere else. 
Uh, I, I think that he is a bright coach with a bright future. I, I think the front office was not expecting him to be as outspoken as he was. Um, and perhaps he rubbed shoulders with Swiderski. Who knows? Um, Swiderski seems like a real quiet type, so I think that that's a little surprising to have heard. Um, but, you know, he also doesn't say a ton to the press, so it, w- it would be tough to know. So, um, yeah, a real, real shame. And, man, if this season just goes down the tube after this firing, um, people in Charlotte are going to be really disappointed. Yeah, it, it's very much a, you know, show up or shut up moment, I, I guess, for the, you know, the team, the front office. Because, you know, it's going to go one of two ways after this. And if it's not, um, if it's not positive, if it's not, you know, what they had envisioned uh, moving on, then there's going to be a lot of questions asked. And, you know, it'll be because the fan base had fallen in love with Miguel. Um, and, you know, that, you know, moving on from him is not a popular decision right now. The only way to make it popular is to do something better than what was happening under um, Miguel. And so if that doesn't happen, there are going to be some angry Charlotte fans and I, maybe a disconnect, at least between the fan base and the team. Maybe, you know, this will fix some things within the team. It seems like that might be the case. But a disconnect right now between the fan base and the team that was unexpected and maybe not necessary at this stage. But, hey, if, you know, one of your best players was deciding that he wasn't going to take the pitch until he was gone, until the coach was gone, I don't know if you have a ton of choice in that. But it just is a super weird situation and not really one you see that often. So I don't know really, you know, what else to make of it. What were you going to say? And if you have your star player making that kind of a claim, right? Like if that's true, like let's just say it's true, right? We have no idea if it's true. Let's just say it's true. It really proves my point, which is that the front office is out of control here, right? The front office is out of control. You're not in control of your players, right? You have not asserted your position. You're the front office. You make the decisions for the club. You are making the directions for the club. And this front office has been disorganized the entire season. They made all their signings very, very late. All their signings, very, very late. They had they delayed their um, their first match by a year because of COVID. They had two whole years to prep for this thing. And in the midst of that, in the midst of all that struggle, they scrambled at the end to put together a team. You know, a couple of their DP signings weren't even until the season had started, right? That's, that is unacceptable considering how much time they were given. Right. It, it wasn't like FC Cincinnati, which got told at the last minute. Right. It just wasn't. They were given two years. Tepper bought it. They were going to you know, start up and then COVID happened and they delayed it. And so, I, you know, I think it actually proves my point, which is that the front office is out of control. If your player, if your star player is making a demand, a star player who, again, has only scored a handful of goals. Has he been good? Yeah. Has he been extraordinary? No, by no means. And so, like, if your star player is making demands of you, it shows just how little influence and control you really have. Yeah, I, I, I think it's impossible to make a full, uh, you know, assessment of this thing because we don't know how this is going to pan out. Maybe it's going to be great, right? Like we said. Um, but if this, if the disconnect with the fan base and you know, kind of this front office situation, um, is anything to take from this. Right now, it's a bit of a head-scratcher for the time being. So, we'll see. Um, that's kind of all I wanted to touch on. Thank you, John, for joining me, especially. Um, I'm so happy that you were able to jump on in time to give your uh, thoughts on Charlotte because your insight to this, you know, being, you know, in that area, you know, following the team closely is, you know, better than any of uh, 
better than anything that we can do so far i think uh the rest of us so thank you so much for coming on um we'll be back next week with i mean i don't know we'll see uh you know mls done for uh a few weeks um international break is upon us you know u.s plays morocco tomorrow uruguay on sunday you know granada and curacao follow that so you know maybe we'll be back next week to give some uh you know, USMNT breakdown. I love that. You know, it should be a shorter pod. Um, and, you know, hopefully have, you know, Matt back and hopefully be able to get uh, the full cast of characters back together. We will see. So that'll be next Tuesday or Wednesday, as always. And in the audience, thank you guys so much for listening. You know, we do this, you know, because number one, we enjoy it. And number two, you know, it, it is cool to, you know, have that knowledge that people are listening to things that we're saying and um, maybe, you know, learning a little bit about the league or whatever, you know. You know, the goal isn't to just, you know, know, you know, approach people who already know about MLS or just to approach people who don't, you know, it's kind of a cool mix. And so if we're able to help you out in any way or if we, uh, you know, m- make your listening experience better um, wh- in whatever you're doing, uh, we're just so appreciative of that. And thank you guys so much for listening. So, yeah, until next Tuesday or Wednesday, um, enjoy life. Enjoy the beautiful game. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week.